And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Friday, March 19th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. Britt Giroli enjoying some work in Arizona. Uh, enjoying some work is is rounding up. Enjoying downtime around work, I'm sure, but even that in a limited capacity. So uh, Britt will be back with us next week and hopefully with uh, a few great stories. So hopefully she's enjoying her time in the desert. How's it going for you on this Friday, you know? It's a time. Yeah, all right. It's going. It's going. March is uh, a crazy nutty month. It's a crazy nutty month. Um, at the end of March, I'm looking forward to um, a trip, uh, our first big trip since COVID, I guess. Um, we're all going to hop into the car and go to the Grand Canyon. Nice. Uh, see my vaccinated mother and uh, go to a couple uh, sightseeing things around there in Arizona and then drive back. Be a weird time to take time off the first week of of uh, the year, but in fact, how many decisions did you make about your fantasy team in the first week? Not that many. And yeah, and how much and how little do I want to write? You know, short sample stories on the first week. Yeah, I mean, you you have to pay attention. Like, you do have to make moves the first week because there could be some pop up players, especially in a year like this, but. As far as reacting and writing about it, there's not a lot to write. So it seems like kind of a, a really good time, especially if you can catch games at night and do some sightseeing during the day. And, and the Grand Canyon, it's uh, it's very grand. It's amazing. It's actually every bit as cool as people make it out to be. Maybe better. Like TV, it looks amazing. I don't even know if that really does it justice. It's one though. of those things that's really hard to take a picture of. Like the bigger something is, the less the picture really captures it. Unless you like really blow it up and have like a huge canvas and like a really great camera uh if you just like look at a picture of the grand canyon sometimes you're like oh yeah okay yeah let the pros with the really fancy equipment do it because yeah. it's just not going to be the same i know phones take great pictures now but get a professional <laughs> picture of the grand Canyon. it's like have you ever tried to take a picture of like um like clouds or like a that's just like a beautiful like i've taken a picture of clouds and then looked at it later and i'm like what was i thinking <laughs> <laughs> I've not Absolutely done that. Absolutely not a compelling picture. <laughs> like you thought you saw something in the clouds. You're like, I'm going to get a picture of that. That's a Homer Simpson cloud. You looked at it later and you're like, <laughs> I don't see it. No idea what that is. It's not there anymore. A <laughs> uh, lot to talk about on this episode beyond our amateur photography skills. And <laughs> I wrote the Rookies of Interest piece. Finally, it took me way too long to write it uh, in part because, as Eno said, March is crazy. So the time I had to write was Less than I thought, but it's been a lot of fun doing guest spots on pods and doing this show and uh, the Athletic Fantasy Baseball podcast. So I'm glad it finally is out and hopefully with enough time for people to enjoy it. We'll talk about some players that were in that piece. We had a related question from a listener digging deep for some surprise players uh, looking for the next Thai France. There's a couple of ways that we could answer that question. So we're going to go down that path. Had a question about platoon combos and research, uh, research for those and the impact of previously shortened seasons on pitcher workloads. So a lot of ground to cover on this episode, probably a few other tangents along the way. Uh, but the rookies of interest piece, I mean, this is a year where you and I were, were chatting about this a bit yesterday while I was putting the finishing touches on it. It's almost like we have to take information we're getting now in spring training kind of match that with the data we had from 2019 and sprinkle in reports from the alternate site for players that did not get to play in 2020. It's like choose your own adventure. It's actually more like Mad Libs. And you're trying to fill in a bunch of these details and you're just not quite sure what to do. 
Bobby Witt Jr., who we brought up on Wednesday's pod, was the guy we were going back and forth on yesterday, and I landed on putting him in the Jared Kelnick, Wander Franco range of the rankings, which to me is more of a game theory play than anything else. It's that you are hoping that one of those three guys ends up on your roster and just crushes right away. And it's it's a pie-in-the-sky sort of expectation where you could have one guy out of that group in a typical mixed league with a normal-sized bench, and you can't really have more than that because if they're all in the minors for a stretch, you probably can't keep them all in those situations. So that's sort of how I placed wit with those guys. The hardest part, though, was justifying it from a skills perspective I was trying to figure out, are we surprised by what the Royals are doing with Bobby Witt Jr. simply because he didn't have a 2020 minor league season? Because if his minor league season had been, let's say, 50 games at low A and 50-plus games at high A, okay, we would have expected him to start this season at double A. And a guy that we expect to start at double A making the big league roster is surprising but not stunning. And if he'd played at three levels last year, if he'd actually played some games at double A last year, you know, that wouldn't be that surprising if he was in camp and battling for an opening day roster spot. So if you retrofit it based on the way that the Royals are talking about wit right now, you know, you kind of have to fit him into one of those two paths to sort of justify what's going to happen. But at least then you're not just completely in the mind-blown phase of, oh, this guy was at rookie ball last time we saw him, and he had an 85 WRC plus when he was there. Because like, if you just look at that, none of this makes any sense. Yeah, um, it's a really tough year for prospects because uh, for evaluating prospects uh, for for that reason. And, um, you know, uh, even the kind of reports, like it's better probably to consider the reports that we get through the people who track these things uh, James Anderson, Keith Law, you know, like, you know, the, the, the people that are that are listening, the people that have Rolodexes, you know, it, we should listen to them because they are talking to people that are seeing these players and know something about them and we don't know anything. At the same time, um, teams always have ulterior motives when it comes to releasing information like this, pumping them up for a trade or denigrating them because they're currently in contract negotiations with the player for an extension or something, you know? Uh, You know, there's all sorts of reasons to kind of try to push or prod uh, an evaluation, public evaluation about a player in a certain direction. Like, what if you were planning on, you're very sure you were not going to play Bobby Witt in the major leagues, then you could uh, kind of uh, do a whisper campaign of like, well, you know, he didn't make that much contact at the alternate site, you know, like... You know, I don't know. I don't think he's ready. You know, and uh, and then and then you get a couple well prominent, you know, writers to be like, well, you know, Bobby Witt didn't make much contact at the at the alternate site last year, and uh, so I'm not, you know, I, you know, give him a little bit of time. You know, <laughs> it's like, but did Bobby Witt make a lot of contact at the alternate site? <laughs> I don't know. It's in fact a thing I've heard that he didn't that he, he might struggle with contact. Well, he didn't struggle with contact in rookie ball. I mean, he had a pretty good strikeout rate. So where did he struggle with contact? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't, uh, I don't know where that came from. I don't know why it's out there. I don't even know. I don't know how to believe it. So it's a really tough time. And at the same time, you don't want to just be like looking at 2019 and be like, well, that's who this guy is. <laughs> you know, like, um, and then uh, every team's going to treat, even when they start getting assigned, right? That will be a major um, hint, I think, right? The, when they start getting assigned. There'll be sort of an idea of like, oh, how did this guy progress, right? Even then, it's difficult because like um, I was looking at Oswald Peraza. Uh, he's a shortstop in the Yankees organization and looks like a hit tool guy. I like hit tool guys. I'm not sure about the power, but like a hit tool guy at shortstop. Uh, maybe he doesn't end up playing for the Yankees, but, you know, uh, they always make trades and um, he's an interesting guy. And I found actually that I think generally uh, J2 guys are uh, international guys are being undervalued a little bit in prospect drafts and in different places. 
Um, in my Devil's Rejects League, for example, I think we got like three or four um, international guys uh, from J2 signs because they, the information there is even lower, right? Uh, a lot of them signed uh, in the middle of this or, or the year before had like a tiny sample somewhere uh, and then we don't know what they're doing. They're all young, right? They all seem like they're really far away. But some of those international guys ascend quickly and, and you see them like Juan Soto, like it was here immediately you know, like you know so peraza got assigned is a long story short peraza got assigned to high a um which i guess is decent it, it gives them a shot at double a this year um and i think that says that they uh at least they weren't going to keep him back uh, any worse than that uh i think that 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 it's a good sign for oswald peraza but the you know the fact that C.J. Abrams and Bobby Witt are still in camp, even if you don't think that they are going to break camp, means that they uh, their teams see them as top ten type prospects. I think you could almost use that as a proxy. I mean, the other thing that's pretty wild is just that if you think about C.J. Abrams and how prospect analysts have been talking and writing about him for the last year, he seems to be closer than Wit in terms of where he's at development-wise. And if Wit's borderline ready for the big leagues now, then Abrams in almost any other organization would be on the cusp of making the opening day roster. But because he's with the Padres, it's just not going to happen right now. And they'll kind of wait and see. He's 20 like Oswald Peraza, right? He's 20 and he's on a loaded team and he's still in camp. I mean, that's meaningful to me. I, I, I think it matters quite a bit. Like how... How teams handle players, the timing of the moves, I think that does give us some insight into what they're prioritizing from a development standpoint. And I'm kind of anxiously awaiting details from the Yankees about how they're going to handle Jason Dominguez. Where's he going to go and how quickly is he going to move? I I think if you're trying to predict someone who's going to move aggressively, he's going to get a pretty aggressive arc based on most forecasts. But where does it start? Is, Is it... Low A this summer? Is it actually high A or double A? I mean, the the way some people talk about him, you'd think that maybe they could test him and move him pretty quickly. And I did look back at a couple other players when I was trying to figure out how unprecedented Bobby Witt's path to the opening day roster really would be and kind of landed on two different players. Carlos Correa, who was actually quite a bit younger than Bobby Witt when he was drafted first overall. Uh, Witt's a little old for a high school kid, but not something really to be held against them. But Carlos Correa uh, took a lot more time to get through the lower levels of the minor leagues, in part because he was 17 when he was drafted. So that factored in. There was also like the questions about his defense and like whether or not he'd be a third baseman. Yeah. He was, he was too big for it. And he had a, a leg injury, fractured uh, tibia, I think, in high A that cost him part of a year. So that slowed him down a little bit. He still moved really fast, relatively speaking, though, if you look at his arc to the big leagues. And then there's Starlin Castro, who is one of the fastest-moving players in the minor leagues of the last 20 years, really, because he skipped, I think it was low-A entirely and triple-A entirely. And it was pretty amazing to see, looking back, really good contact skills as a prospect. I mean, people think of Starling Castro as boring oatmeal now, and I think that's <laughs> obviously true at age 30. <laughs> He's not even really that's something to remember when you get all excited about prospects, that sometimes the best prospects end up as Starlin Castro, and it's good. It's fine. Yeah, he's had a, a good big league career to this point. But yeah, he skipped low A entirely, debuted at high A as a 19-year-old, uh, played only 57 games at double A between 2009 and 2010 before jumping all the way to the big leagues and playing 125 games in 2010. I mean, that's really aggressive for a guy who signed as an international free agent too. So I, I do think the, the timetables in general are difficult to predict it's one of the hardest things for us to do from the outside and we do have to really consider the various factors that are being passed along by people like Keith and James that have those at least secondhand accounts right they they're talking to someone who was watching players that the rest of us didn't get to see last year and we have to at least take that into account but we also have to distill it accordingly because there could be narratives around that that are designed to mislead us or, or you know push push us in a certain direction for a particular reason. I don't know how to I don't know I don't know how to do it right. You know, I've just uh, I've taken there's some lists I trust, uh, Keith Laws, Eric Longenhagen, uh, James Anderson or my probably my favorite um, 
prospect uh, lists and then uh, kind of triangulate them, look between them, look at look at uh, who's highest on on one of those lists and and, and go for that. I ended up uh, taking in my 12-team restocking minor league draft J.J. Bladey, who I think is uh, e- easier on the easier end, right? Like college guy uh, on a team that needs him. Uh, didn't strike out that much when he first got a, a try. Probably pretty close to the major leagues. You know what I mean? Like I like I like Bladey, uh, and then I took Brian Rocchio and Oswald Peraza in the next two rounds as just you know teenagers that uh that people seem to like <laughs> yeah like i don't really uh i don't even there's not that much video out there even to lay eyes on for these two guys so uh you know short stops in the uh, indians and, and yankees organization but uh if we're uh if we're gonna have like a prospect of the week month Mm, year we can get back to the week if we want to yeah the year that's a that's a that's an award <laughs> we could probably get back to prospect of the week once the minor league season starts it's gonna take a little while yeah and it's a lot easier when they're actually playing games and we can say oh look this guy's really popped you know <laughs> but uh we let's wait till the next segment to uh to to do a prospect of the week i think because that's going to be uh that's going to be useful or you did rookies of note. Do you have a prospect of the week off off of your rookies of note? Oh yeah, I've got uh, several to choose from for those who have seen the piece. Uh, I actually think the prospect of the month for me is Miguel Yahure, and he came up when the Pirates made that trade with the Yankees that sent Jamison Tyon uh, to the Yankees. Yahure, look, he is going to get a chance in this rotation sooner rather than later. I don't know if it's from the jump. So I don't know if he's necessarily draftable in a lot of mixed leagues, but use your watch list. Set up your watch list. Have players ready for when they debut so you don't forget about them, especially because if they get called up and they have no stats at the time your waivers run, they're going to be totally buried in the rankings in season. Uh, We're starting to see a guy that really, I think if he'd had a 2020, would have probably pushed his way up into a lot of maybe top 100 prospect lists. I think that was within the range of outcomes. Overshadowed, of course, with Davey Garcia and Clark Schmidt in New York. And I think the Pirates are doing a legitimately good job of rebuilding their minor league system under Ben Charrington. That front office is at least putting the organization on the right track, as we've said before. I think with Miguel Yajure, is he a is he an opening day guy? Not necessarily. But if he gets the opportunity this year. I think he stays in the big leagues for good. I think you're going to get a decent strikeout rate. It's four pitches with command, and it's all about opportunity in that Pittsburgh rotation. Just like we're always chasing hitters getting a chance in Baltimore as deep league pickups, pitchers getting a chance in Pittsburgh, I think, are going to be an actual opportunity to get in. We talked about JT Brubaker, not a prospect, but a guy that's pretty safely in that rotation. Every opportunity to max out innings is there for a guy like Yahure in Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. And then, as is my want, uh, I, I like Yahure, but every as is my want, I pick uh, old dudes that are barely prospects that uh, uh, might have an opportunity soon. I, I love those guys. Uh, so Buddy Reed uh, in, in Oakland, I think, is uh, a guy deserving of some attention. Uh, he turned heads with some great defense, uh, two homers in his short stints so far in spring. They've played him a lot. He seems uh, like, you know, you've got Blaze Tom, who's trying to make that team, Kai Tom, um, and uh, he may be beating out Seth Brown for the last outfield spot uh, because I think he's a little bit more uh, valuable defensively. Um, and uh, and he's got a p- bunch of patience, and he shows some pop in, in the spring. So if Tom beats him out, I think Reed and Brown are the next outfielders. And Brown could just be one of those types that just keeps getting passed over uh, because Reed is more more ex- exciting. And if the A's go into a bit of a rebuild, uh, which is possible, I mean they're getting to the point where some of their stars are getting more expensive, and you know Oakland uh, really likes to trade away their guys before they get too expensive. If they trade away Chapman or Olson, I think that uh, the sort of core positional, uh, the positional core basically 
isn't there for them. So then all of a sudden they may be uh, trading away a lot of guys. They never do a full rebuild though. So it's always going to be, it's going to be really hard to watch them. But I think Reed could get a chance. Power speed guy. I'd be watching his strikeout rate this year um, if they start having minor league games because it's all about if he can make some contact and he's got that power and speed, could be the next center fielder. Yeah, it might just be a starting job for part of this season and more of a fourth outfielder role in the future, but definitely a guy that could do a lot for us as fantasy players with the the tools that you mentioned. Inching closer and steals bases. I mean, we're all, I think a lot of times we're just looking for bags from the young guys because the old guys don't give us bags. Yeah. And I think that was something as I kind of built out the bottom part of the list, like the dart throws really in, in the rookies piece, guys like Jared Oliva and, and Daniel Johnson really sort of popped to me just because all they have they to do is play and they're going to run if they get chances. I mean, I think I was reading Eric Longenhagen's report on Daniel Johnson. He's skeptical about the swing actually generating as much power as Johnson has shown in the minors once he gets up against big league pitching. But I think he's got a good eye at the plate, and speed is a tool that he can leverage to stay in the lineup. And he's got a good arm, too, so he's a good defender, possibly in the corner. So maybe not prototypical corner outfield power, but if he's a good defender and he gets on base and he can steal some bases, that might be enough for him to secure a lot of playing time in Cleveland. Uh, I think with Daniel Johnson, you have to see where Josh Naylor plays and whether or not they get rid of Jake Bowers. I think they'll get rid of Jake Bowers. I don't think anyone else wants him, so they could probably DFA him and sneak him through and keep him at AAA if they really want to have him around in the organization. But to me, like playing Josh Naylor at first base back at his natural position makes a lot of sense, especially if you can put someone like Daniel Johnson in the outfield instead. I'd rather play Johnson than Bowers, all things being equal. Yeah, with Bradley showing that power upside, I think he's you know a little bit more of a prototypical first baseman. Um, and Johnson provides more versatility. And if you think about the worst teams around the league that would claim uh, uh, would claim Bowers and play him, uh, I don't think that many of them need a first baseman or a kind of uh, light bat outfielder like this. I mean, he's just light for being a corner outfield first baseman. And, uh, you know, the Giants at this point have a few options at those positions. Uh, they're not, I don't think we're going to claim him. The Rockies had like CJ Crone looks like he's going to be their best first baseman in years. Um, and, uh, corner outfield. I mean, I guess that would be, uh, the cruelest joke of all is if they claim Jake Bowers and play him over Sam Hilliard and just drive the knife deep into my chest. Oh. Uh, the Orioles seem to have like five first baseman corner outfielder six, right? Yeah. They got plenty of options there. And, and I think, Tigers? None of those guys. I don't, they're, the Tigers are okay depth-wise, too. I mean, the one thing that Bowers could do that some of their bench guys don't do very well is he could get on base more, potentially. Because mm-hmm. they do have some very low OBP bench guys. So if they're moving on from Goodrum and Harold Castro and guys like that, maybe they see him as an upgrade. Wouldn't, but I, I think it's just temporary until someone better gets DFA'd. Uh, they may just do uh, the thing where they have uh, Bowers make opening day, make sure that everybody else, you know, figures out their 40 man and, and then uh, bring up Bradley in the second week and DFA Bowers and hope that these, he sneaks through that way. Yeah, uh, that could be the plan. Uh, related to the Impact Rookies piece, we had a question. I mentioned this in the intro. Uh, PCH is looking for some players like Ty France is for this season. So he's looking for non-prospect or peripheral prospects and late bloomers for the 2022 season. So guys, he should get now to stash away with the hopes that either playing time will open up as it did for France with the trade to Seattle or uh, that just, you know, an opportunity will happen because they're actually good players and their organizations are going to learn that over the course of this season. So Digging deep for some surprises, did you turn up any interesting names that could kind of fit the bill of being next year's Thai France? Yeah, you know, uh, it's a bit of a bit of a problem of definition. I think um, if you think of uh, Thai France as basically a part-time player that is getting a chance, uh, which is part of what like he was he was going to make the Padres roster, right? He just wasn't going to have a starting role, uh, and he got kind of traded into more of a starting role. Then, um, you know, I thought of uh, uh, David Bodie um, in Chicago, just having superior power to Nico Horner, could play his way into a starting role. 
Um, there could be trades there. I doubt that the Cubs are really buying, but uh, maybe they sell Bodie uh, to somebody that, that starts him. Uh, there's some positional versatility there, second and third. He's not just a first base type. And then the other one is Abraham Toro, who I think will either get traded when the Astros buy uh, or find his way to the outfield um, or be like a big injury replacement for somebody. Um, so I, I still I still think of him as highly highly that way. And I think Tyler Freeman has, you know, used to be a prospect, but now is, seems to be an afterthought on most prospect lists. Still makes a lot of contact. We don't really know what the power numbers have looked like for the last year, and we know that the middle infield um, in Cleveland is uh, pretty fluid. Yeah, Freeman, I know our, our friend James Anderson is still on him, but definitely feels a little forgotten with Andres Jimenez in Cleveland after Lindor trade and Ahmed Rosario there Cedar as well. Hernandez but, and yeah. But Freeman's not as far away as you might think. Uh, if you're digging really deep, I mean, the Padres might have reloaded with another Thai France in Brian O'Grady. I know that's a, a Nando Defino favorite from a, a couple of years ago, but O'Grady... He's already 28. He's a left-handed hitter, but he has power. He has speed. He has a ridiculously productive AAA season on the ledger, 126 WRC plus in 2019 when he hit 28 homers and stole 20 bases at that level. He was even a bit better when he first arrived at AAA in 2018, a 157 WRC plus there. I'm just curious to see if he finds any playing time because... He went from one crowded depth chart in Tampa Bay last year to another being a Padre right now. But if he ends up on a rebuilding team, compared to someone like Jake Bowers, who who I would say is just the purest form of organizational oatmeal, Brian O'Grady is the kind of guy that you say, oh, actually, what happens if we give him some playing time? Like There could be a, a Dylan Moore power-speed combo that comes out of relative nowhere if playing time opens up. It just seems so unlikely that O'Grady gets that chance in San Diego. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like a it's a combination of like what you think of the player plus the chance. That's 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 I think that's how you define Ty France in the end. It's like not really a prospect, but enough of a prospect that somebody valued him and got him, right? Enough of enough of a player that somebody valued him and got him and gave him a chance. So that's a really hard thing to define. But uh, another way of defining it, I think, is you look at uh, some prospect lists. You look deeper down on a prospect list for a team that might acquire talent. Um, and so I, you know, I was looking at the uh, Dodgers, and behind Michael Bush, um, who I really want to see what kind of power numbers he puts up uh, when they start playing again, um, is Andy Pajes. Uh, you know, a guy that that could put together at least the power part. I don't know. France doesn't really have so much speed. So uh, sort of power and okay. Plate discipline could come from Pajes, could come for the Dodgers, but I doubt it at this point because they just keep acquired, they even acquired noisy and like they, they just they have such a loaded team. At some point they may have to DFA him or, or, or just put him in a package uh, and send him somewhere. But here's the name. I think I have Ty France. I think I have Ty France and it's, it's occurred to me over the, over the course of this. I've got it. It occurred to me when you were talking about uh, played appearance in the spring. Jason Vossler. Oh, Jason Vossler. Okay. Uh, he used to be with the Padres. I think his his prospect time just ran up. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't have right in front of me like what the transaction was. But now he's with the Giants. He's got something like thirty played appearances this spring. Uh, his numbers in the minors when we, we had them show uh, plate discipline, okay contact, and power. Uh, his projections look terrible because he's 27. Um, but, uh, you know, and there's a lot of age at level, uh, you know, changes going on there. But he could be one of those, um, maybe a little bit more like Mike Yastrzemski, uh, but also I think like Ty France, a guy who was given a, an opportunity right in his peak age range. Uh, and enough of an opportunity to to make a, a, a name for himself. Now it's getting a little bit crowded on that Giants depth chart now with Tommy Listella and Wilmer Flores and Donnie Solano and all those guys, Dubon on the infield. And so Vossler may not make the team out of spring, but Donnie Solano is a pretty big regression candidate. I mean, the BABIP is super sky high on him. Uh, Wilmer Flores is okay but he's not going to stand in front of somebody if they really think he's they've got something exciting right so i I think uh and there's enough guys near the end of their careers where an injury a big injury 
you know, might mean might be meaningful. Like if 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 Brand Crawford's a step slow already, you know, maybe he starts playing some second base for the Giants. As as much as that seems crazy to to think of, Crawford was the oldest dude um, in uh, the oldest shortstop in baseball last year. So. I got one more name to throw. Yeah, there's there's definitely uh, Vossler makes sense because San Francisco, it's kind of wide open, especially in the outfield for some playing time and some significant injuries in the past of Alex Dickerson too could open up a lot of playing time if uh, Mm -hmm. he unfortunately goes down at some point again. Eli White in Texas is a name that I see popping up from Levi Weaver from time to time. You know, Leody Tavares is the future in center field, but they don't have great center field depth. If Tavares falls on his face, which isn't unheard of for a player that young, he could go down and come back next year or later this season and then be fine. Eli White would probably be the guy that's playing. Yeah, and and someone's got to play that spot. And White has power. He's got speed. A little bit more swing and miss than you'd like to see looking at the 2019 AAA numbers. The K rate jumped up to 27%, but he does walk a little bit, and he's just one of those guys that he's, he's tooled up. You know, I, I think there's a little bit of everything in the profile there. Uh, so I think Eli White could be a guy that comes out of nowhere. Twice the OPS of Leody so far. That's right. I mean, I don't want to ever just overreact to a spring, but yeah, right. But Leody at price was a guy that I wasn't necessarily buying into for cheap speed because I think when we first mm-hmm. talked about him, I said the situation reminded me a lot of Oscar Mercado, even though I think Leody Tavares is going to be a really good defensive center fielder for a long time. Like Even if he's not good enough to be an everyday big league hitter in the long run, Leody Tavares will hang around and play good defense in center field the way that Jake Marisnik hangs around on major league rosters, the way that... Uh, you know, uh, let's see, uh, Albert Almora is probably tr- tracking at this point in his career. So there's a there's a lot of value just in those tools alone. Mm-hmm. But I do think in the short term, we are right to be a little bit skeptical of Tavares as a hitter, despite some of the success that he had in the shortened season. Yeah, that could that could easily happen. White was playing a little bit last year. I had him on my labor roster for a while. So, you know, they 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 don't hate him. Yeah. Did see a little bit of time last year. Didn't do a lot with it, but uh, just just getting there gives you an idea how they feel about him and the usage this spring has been. He cost me my title. No, no, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Luis Severino did. Oh, well, yeah, Severino. So Jake Cave almost cost me a, a labor title once, which is be a terrible way to die. By just being league. terrible when you had to play him? Yeah, I think I had to throw him in because of someone being hurt, and he had a 0 for 4, and it was... It was ugly. It was really close to losing a point in batting average because of Jake Cave on the very last day of the season. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, you know, we had a bunch of great questions come in to the mailbag over the last few weeks, and there's another one here about Platoon Combo Research Leaderboards. This question comes from Andrew. Just curious if you have go-to queries or custom leaderboards for projecting or monitoring platoon splits for hitters or projecting good pairings. He also asks, how long does it take for a platoon split to become meaningful? This is particularly helpful if you're playing in a daily moves league where you can really mix and match and take advantage of how teams are utilizing players in those matchups. Thousands of plate appearances. It takes thousands of plate appearances. That's not even just a D. It's an S. D-S. Thousands of plate appearances to believe a platoon split. And it's and a reverse platoon split 
is almost never believable. Uh, you'd almost never project a reverse platoon split for a player because you need so many, you need thousands, and it's not thousands of plate appearances overall, it's thousands of plate appearance in the split. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, it's just awful. It's mathematically awful. It's not something you'd ever project. But at the same time, you'll see that teams uh, use players certain ways. And you see that the Dodgers use Jock Peterson a certain way, uh, you know, his whole career. So there are definitely players that I don't I don't know how teams figure it out. <laughs> I don't know how teams figure it out because. The, the math is supposed to be that you regress them to league average in platoon splits until you get past, like, 1,200 plate appearances against lefties. and 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 Or is it, like, more against lefties than right? I forget which. I think maybe it's 1,200 against lefties and 2,000 against righties. Um, that you, you regress it most towards league average. But teams uh, see something, right, in a way that a, that a player plays. And I guess my guess is if you've got a guy who's projected to be overall kind of close to league average, um, then maybe you only play him when he has a platoon advantage. Especially if they're in a position that doesn't give you defensive value. Now, if you have like a shortstop who's who's good defensively and projected for like a W 100 WRC plus, then you're like, okay, yeah, fine. Go at it. I don't actually care about your platoon splits. There aren't that many platoon shortstops. That, nobody really does that, right? They just want to have a guy that goes out there. But if he's like a left fielder, like Jock Peterson, right? Um, then you kind of say, you know what? If we put him out there at, only against righties and get a 120 WRC+, plus, which is kind of what they got from Jock Peterson, um, then we just find another a righty outfielder is, is easy to find. So I guess that's a long-winded way of saying I always long-winded me, um, but uh, I would say that think about the position they play, uh, think about the team they're on. How, are they more like the Orioles or um, Tigers who kind of want to see what they've got and play them every day and then maybe settle into platoon later, um, or are they more like the Dodgers? Brewers, Rays, where they're going to come up only within their good platoon advantage, right? Like, I've talked to people around the Rays that, that say that Mike Brousseau has, like, a non-zero chance of of playing full-time at third base at some point, right? But he's old, and he doesn't protect that, all that well, and they're probably going to be a competitive team, so the bulk of the opportunity is going to be for him to play against lefties wherever it is on the infield. So a couple things. like The main thing that has the gears in my head turning is trying to figure out what teams care about when it comes to the uh, platoon splits, right? Because even if you got to enough playing time, the thousands of plate appearances you need for those numbers to be meaningful, I think you could make a pretty compelling argument. The player's going to change a lot in that time. Like You're not the same player in the first 500 PAs of a 2,000 plate appearance sample as you are at the end. Like, Physically, you're going to be different, right? You might be bigger and stronger. You might be older and slower with like worse skills. Like you could have enough skills, growth, or erosion to be a totally different player by the time you get to the the end of that window where it's meaningful. That's on my mind. Yeah, it's a moving target, right? It's it's uh, it, you, maybe you maybe you could have had more opportunity early and. Right, but then you're just bad late. <laughs> yeah. Right, like if if you're Brandon Lau, and I know he was a lot better in the shortened season against lefties than he was in 2019. In 2019, Brandon Lau had the highest strikeout rate against lefties for any player who got at least 60 plate appearances against lefties in the last five years. 52.9 percent K rate from him in 2019. I wonder if it's something granular like that that teams look at. But yeah, maybe. I think maybe you'd regress certain parts of a... Yes, I think that you might regress certain parts of a platoon split. Like, I think, yeah, strikeouts and walks, I think. Because uh, ISO, like an ISO on a platoon split is like... Or like a slugging on a platoon split is like, what? Like, that's so much bad at ball noise. So few balls in play sometimes. Uh, But strikeout rate... uh, But what happened with Brandon Lau when they gave him more opportunities against lefties, the strikeout rate regressed towards league average, right? Like the, the platoon split was not as as dire uh, when they gave him more chances. And that's probably because he's such a good hitter uh, against uh, righties that, you know, a normal platoon split would still have him be around league average against lefties. 
Right. Like that's what you'd expect. I mean, it's impossible almost to be that bad in the long <laughs> run. So like just natural like even if the skills weren't going to change at all, it seemed statistically unlikely that he would continue to strike out that much because it was such an outlier. Right. Uh, but I do think with with Lau, I think the thing that makes him different is uh, defense, right? I mean, like if you look at defense for for guys that are kind of on the cusp of losing that playing time, a good defender, shortstop is, is the best example of this. A good defender at shortstop, like you said, will not lose playing time because of their platoon splits because you just don't mix and match that way. It's just not the way teams are built. But if you if you have a unique sort of defensive value based on the roster construction, you might get those chances to play in the bad split. You'll probably drop in the batting order, right? You're not going to hit in the same spot against righties as you do against lefties. That's how teams can counteract it a little bit. You could still get that playing time, and then you do have that chance of skills growth. You do have that chance to make adjustments and to possibly get better. And you're upping your sample. You're upping your sample. You're just giving more chances to know what your true talent is. Really. Right, right. Yeah, you're getting more looks. Like it, how many left-handed pitchers are there? It's still like 18 or 20% of the pool, right? It's a, it's a relatively small number. So when you're coming up as a young player, you just don't see that many lefties. So I, I feel like it's... It's a really difficult thing to predict because some guys, it's just it's gonna like click in. Something's gonna work. Some some cue, something they pick up on after 500 plate appearances might actually enable them to sustain a new level. Other guys never find it. Like it's such an individualized thing that I, I wonder if if trying to evaluate everybody through the same lens actually leads you to make more mistakes. Yeah. I think it is something, though, that you can look uh, to the organizations uh, for guidance. You know, just look at which teams uh, traditionally get the platoon advantage the most often, which teams platoon a lot. Uh, it's interesting because the Indians lead the league in platoon advantage, but they don't actually do it with platoons a lot of times. They just have a ton of switch hitters. You know, that's one thing the Indians seem to really like. Uh, but the Rays and the A's um, and the Dodgers are teams that really platoon. So if you've got a guy coming up in those organizations and you're worried or you're thinking about it, then just pretty much consider that they will play in the, with the platoon advantage at first and have to play their way into full-time play. Edwin Rios is a right-hander, huh? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I've only seen him play a handful of times. A little bit of cold water on how excited you should be about Edwin Rios, I guess. Wait, Rios is a lefty. I'm thinking of okay, somebody else. Sheldon Noisy is a righty. That, that's Noisy the guy. Is that's a righty. Okay. yeah, yeah. So I mean, I I use the uh, splits leaderboard by the way for just breaking things down quickly. You can split it out by years. You can do multi years together. I, I think that's probably the the best tool out there. It's a tool over at Fangraphs just to just to get a good snapshot of how any group of players does versus lefties versus righties, whatever it is that you're looking for. So I'd recommend kind of using that. Uh, do you have any other tools you use for that? I haven't seen any. Uh, uh, there, there are some. Um, who has minor league splits? There used to be a separate site for it, and I think it went away. Yeah, like a few MLB years ago. Farm or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll try to we'll look up, we'll look that up for you. See if there's anybody that has minor league splits. A lot of those sites go away because they're uh, just scraping. Unfortunately, yeah. Thanks a lot for the question, Andrew. Had a question here from OJ. Uh, he writes, your conversation about how the short season would affect innings thrown this year suggested a question. Did losing nearly 50 games in 94 uh, have any sort of impact on 95 starters innings or anything even in 96? And I think it's a great question, but I think the hardest thing about applying you know, past stoppages and shortened seasons to the present is just that pitching is not handled the same way now that it was 30 years ago, right? Like It's just a totally different mindset and so much of my concern, I guess I'll say, as far as how I think teams are going to manage pitching, comes from teams not having the most logical or scientifically driven reason behind making these decisions. You know, I, I just think it's still more of a feel thing than I'd like it to be. And that's why I think workloads are going to be altered because of teams messing around, not because of, of pitchers being unable to do what they normally do. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was something that one, one person said in the front office to me was that like, even in the past, they actually didn't have that much science behind innings increases. And they would just kind of like, look at the, the data and say, Oh, this guy looks like, uh, he hasn't been hurt that much. Let's just add 20%. 
and nobody knew where that number came from and, and why, why they did that. So uh, I think we're getting the better teams are going to be out in front in terms of monitoring every sort of little thing. So they'll have the modus sleeves on them. They'll have uh, the wrap soto in their bullpens. And if like the arm slot drops two inches or uh, the velo drops off, they'll just stop them in that bullpen and say, um, you know, we're just going to skip the next start. We'll say a little bit of fatigue, uh, something nebulous, um, and we'll call somebody up or we'll use one of our long men out of the bullpen. I think there's going to be these Freddie Peralta-esque, Julian Merriweather guys that are, you know, doing two inning stints in the bullpen who, oh, hey, today, uh, you know, uh, who, whoever's in the starting rotation, Lindblom's arm, uh, you know, something didn't look right in the in the rap soto. We want to just have him uh, take a rest. Uh, Peralta, you're taking Lindblom's next start. And that's going to be really hard for fantasy owners uh, to take uh, care of and to, to follow along because I think some of those things will happen on a, on a daily basis, right? They're going to have these, there's going to be data on a daily basis coming in that makes them help these make these decisions. Um, and so even on a Sunday, you say, oh, Lindblom start is on Wednesday and it's uh, on the road against the Pirates. Love it. I'm putting him in my lineup. And then it's like, ah, uh, nuts. You know, I would have loved to put the Freddie Peralta against the, the Pirates in, but we didn't even know he was going to have that start. So <laughs> that part uh, I'm foreseeing is going to be really crappy. And I that's why I kind of prefer daily leagues in without thinking of the rest of my life or my wife or my children or, you know, <laughs> all that, I would rather have a daily league because then you could say, oh, you know, I'm going to put Freddy Peralta in instead. And you could maybe handcuff some guys. You know, if you have some Brewers uh, starters, then you can get Peralta too and make sure that you have, you know, the guy who'd come in for them. Uh, but in weekly leagues, uh, which help us retain our sanity, <laughs> because uh, having something like 15 daily leagues would um, turn us all insane. Um, uh, in weekly leagues, we're also going to have that insanity where we're just going to, and that's, that's why, like, I love, uh, when we had Nick Pollock on, I love him to death. And I love that he like looks at early season schedules and stuff. And, and he, he's like, I think one of the deepest divers when it comes to pitching schedules. Uh, and I love the Rasball, uh, weekly forecaster, right. That, 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 uh, that takes into account schedules and, and who's coming up and, and, and does it. And I, and I think on a weekly basis, you're going to be a little bit better than on a monthly basis. And, and then you're going to be a little bit better than that than you are going to be in spring training when you say, like, I believe that Alec Mills probably has an early, uh, good schedule, but there are certain schedules where he's like, Oh, he's going to be our fourth starter instead of our third starter. And you're like, ah, and you throw all the papers up in the air, you know, you go, ah, (laughs) darn it. (laughs) Now he's in Colorado. (laughs) So, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of that. I think there's gonna be a lot of that. Yeah. It's, it's going to be messy, but I don't think it's going to be as bad injury wise as some people think. I, I think it, it's going to be more teams proactively messing with things more than anything else. And I don't know if that's going to have any sort of negative long-term impacts. I don't really think it will. In lowering someone's workload from 180 or 200 to 150 or 160. For one does that, year. Does that change anything for 2022? Probably not. I think looking at the historical numbers too, I was looking at the year-over-year number of pitchers used back around that strike-shortened season. And there was already a trend happening a little bit where relievers were becoming a little more prominent around that time. We had expansion at a couple different points. So the number of pitchers used by the league as a whole ticked up on a couple of occasions. It ticked up in 93 when the league uh, added Florida and Colorado. And it ticked up again in 98 when the D-backs and Rays joined the league. But we did see a little bit of an uptick in 95 uh, relative to 93 with that 94 season of course being the strike shortened season so maybe uh, maybe there is lots something of to this being used. yeah lots of pictures being used but the, compare the compare compare today's game to that it's it's insane how many more pitchers are being used now uh, in 1995 with 28 teams there were 552 pitchers that appeared in the game in 2019 831 pitchers were used. <laughs> so, yeah, different uh, different era. And uh, 
the kid gloves will be on. I just I hope they don't overdo it. Well, it makes you want to take the fifth starters much more than the sixth starters, huh? Yeah. They have the role at least to begin the year. It's almost like the idea of like uh don't take that many people who are already injured because you're gonna have a lot of people who are gonna get injured. <laughs> or guys that are so gonna get take- skipped. Yeah, yeah. Don't take that many pitchers that are that are not even in the rotation yet because you're going to have many people in your rotation that are not going to be in the rotation later. <laughs> I mean, trying to wait on Gonsolin in May, it's like if you if you really do think there's going to be more injuries, then you won't have to wait as long, but it's a crapshoot. Who's actually going to get hurt, and are you going to be able to hold those guys when someone else gets an opportunity to throw five or six innings first? And I, I don't know. I'm... I'm I'm trying to have any injury optimism whatsoever on draft day this year because I don't I don't want the headache. I don't want that headache in a normal year, but I want to have as much flexibility as I can possibly have. And if I'm going to spend a roster spot on a player who's not playing right away, it's a possible star prospect. That's it. It's not a pitcher who's going to miss a month. I mean, Carlos Carrasco had a setback with his hamstring. Is he undraftable? No, I just don't want him because I don't want to wait three weeks or whatever it takes for him into the season to come back. So I probably won't have Carrasco, at least in my leagues that don't have IL spots. IL spots obviously change things quite a bit, but a lot of leagues don't have those. Yeah, I got the Luis Severino sharing AL labor because we have unlimited IL. Um, but uh, And in some of those uh, drafting holds with like 50 round drafting holds, I took a couple shots on Luis Severino types. Um, my uh, and, and I ended up with Luis Severino in a lot of places because Sale um, goes first, and then Syndergaard goes, and you can let Sale and Syndergaard go and take Severino almost like five rounds later, um, and it's the same play, right? So in, in those drafting holes, I, I have uh, some Severino shares. And then I have the same idea. You can watch Wander Franco go. Um, and you can watch uh, a certain amount of top prospects go. And then you can take Joe Adele um, pretty late. I, I've taken Joe Adele in bench spots in 50-round drafting holes in uh, TGFBIs in my bench slots. So um, I'm willing to take a shot on a bench slot when it comes to those guys. But uh, like you said, I'm agreeing one, one. And uh, I think we had a, a Twitter, a Twitter uh, question today about Gonsolin versus Paxton and Montgomery. And I at first liked the idea of um, having Gonsolin cause he had price, but you said, I'd rather have guys who were in the rotation to be in the season, just like we were just saying. And I think you convinced me. Uh, so I think I might rather have Montgomery in that situation. Montgomery has looked really good this spring, too. Not the reason why I want him specifically, but I think having the job already is a pretty nice leg up to have. It's sort of like when people in fantasy football season, they say, well, should I also get the backup running back, too? And my argument most of the time is, well, no, get someone else's backup running back. That way, if their starter two, gets hurt, two shots at, you two got shots two starters. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're not yeah. like if, if they're both playing, you're splitting workload. If you get two guys you know in the what's same backfield messing me up with that is that in the draft and holds, I don't mind some handcuffing, you know, because you're not like you're not you have no pickups. Right. You know? That's a different. Yeah. Totally different situation. With so, the 50 round and I think that's format. what he was talking about was a draft and hold. So in, in some of these draft and holds, I like handcuffing because uh, you're like, I own Dodgers SP5. And that's a pretty good spot to own. And I own it. It took three so- roster slots to get there, which is uh, not ideal. Um, but uh, when you're drafting really late, sometimes, you know, there's not that many options anyway. So handcuffing. Uh, so and, and I think bullpen handcuffing kind of works in those in some of those leagues. But I did have somebody say like uh that they 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 drafted like four Royals relievers and they're like they were, and none of them was Scott Barlow. <laughs> and they said in the chat, they said in the chat, well if Scott Barlow and I think it might be a listener, uh, they said if Scott Barlow gets the saves this year, I'm gonna kill myself. I was like, D V R thinks it's gonna happen. <laughs> I yeah. Um Wow. That's... And then you had four roster slots trying to lock down the Royals closer. I you got to diversify. You can't can't take four shots in one bullpen because there's a chance that it's the fifth guy. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just the way it goes sometimes. I did take Anoli Paredes behind Ryan Presley, and I was just like, these are the two guys I like best in that bullpen. Paredes is throwing 99. I don't know. 
I figured that was an all right handcuff. But you're right. Once it gets to like four, you're like, how are you going to use on this? Yeah. Try and take a couple swipes at different pens uh, just to have multiple closers because you're only going to get one out of one team. What was the question? How did we get here? Uh, That was a Twitter question that you brought up from the Cutline Championship, which is But before that was something else. Platoons? Are we still answering the platoon question? No, it was OJ's question about pitcher workloads and how things change oh, right, after right, previously right, shortened yeah. seasons. But yeah, yeah. unfortunately, I just don't think there's a lot of, of guidance from uh, from those past it's years. Just gonna be chaos, it's a good question. Mostly. Yeah. But I, we, the, the general piece of advice is take a guy with a role before with a guy without a role. Because it's going to yes. be such a mess anyway. Right. You're not going to want to wait any longer than you have to for someone to get innings in a year like this. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. Or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant. Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. I, I went and looked at the bracket while you were talking, and mm. I... Well, my alma mater is not on there. Maybe when they do get on there, I'll be more interested. Um, and because it's local here, uh, when I was a six-man at Stanford um, all five years I was there. Um, and, uh, went to all the games almost and saw Jason Terry and, uh, the, uh, was it, was Borchard, were the Borchard, were the Borchard twins? There were two, there were two sets of twins. There were the, the Collins twins and then the Lopez twins. I saw the Lopez twins, the Collins, tw- Collins twins. Uh, I got into like verbal shouting matches with Richard Jefferson all the time. Uh, we didn't like each other. Um, <laughs> and, uh. Uh, I used to throw my hair out for games uh, and yell things like, get a haircut, hippie. <laughs> you were yelling that? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think Richard Jefferson would remember you? Like if, if you if you heckled him now, would he remember you from back then? I doubt it, but there was a few times where we were looking straight at each other, yelling at each other. <laughs> um, so I don't know, maybe. I doubt it, though. Um Probably just some other white dude from Stanford. You know? <laughs> I mean, like it's, it's pretty white school, so um, you know. But the, the fro, the fro might have, the fro might have, uh, might have helped. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I think you have a. It's a, a fun time. I, I'm not, I, it's just it's a hard time for us to have bandwidth <laughs> to like really sit down and research a whole bracket and really nail the bracket. You know, sometimes I just like fill out a bracket. But I was looking and like. There's a number one seed called Bay, B-A-Y. Baylor? Baylor. I couldn't <laughs> even figure out who it was. <laughs> That's how far gone I am. I haven't done a sheet in a couple of years, but uh, power to you. Good luck. Uh, it'll be a fun weekend. It's a, it's a fun time. I uh, I don't speak ill. I love basketball, so uh, I just don't have the bandwidth to, to do anything about it right now. Yeah, I'm not good at filling out brackets anymore. I don't know if I ever really was great at it, but I think leaning on other people is something I actually do now. I can just watch the tournament and totally relax and not think about it. Whereas if I'm you know, watching baseball, which it's, again, uh, this is not a complaint, I'm thinking a lot more about the implications of everything I see. I could watch college basketball and just be a fan. So I think that's mm-hmm. kind of a, a nice... It's a nice little that's escape That's how I feel about have. the NBA. Like I, I watch the NBA as a fan, and I'm kind of a local fan. 
And so I'm just like, I'm a Warriors fan and it's, it's fine. It's, it's kind of cool that they're not that great. You know, like, I'm like, Ooh, like who's going to be, who's going to be, is Wiseman going to be good? Is Poole going to be good? Like, you know, but I don't have to spend too much time thinking about it and like really breaking it down. I'm just like, yeah, they're going to be good. (laughs) (laughs) Go team. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we go, uh, beer of, let's say beer of the week. We got, we are processing the week, our beer of the week. It's yeah. a pretty retro episode, man. It's a throwback, and uh, man, I, I need a beer, like, very badly. Like, I've got a Keeper League auction starting in a few hours. I'm going to have to wait until we get far oh. into that to crack a beer open, because it's about a five-hour auction, so I don't want yes. <laughs> to get loopy before the, the last hour or so, but uh, what, do you, what do you got for us this week? Well, I've got breaking news. I've got an announcement. It's the first time I've ever done this, and it's really cool, and I hope that I can send uh, some to you, uh, DVR, and uh, we'll see what happens. But I have collaborated with a brewery, uh, and so without having tasted it, I'm giving it beer of the month. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, well, I told them what goes in it, so or I helped uh, consult. I, I, it's one of those things where it's like I don't want to take credit for it. Uh, I was a, just a bit of a coach on this one, but um, I helped. We together we came to the ABV, five point two percent crusher spring baseball here it comes we ca- we came to a name ephus mm. love it ephus nice. uh and the brewery is um is old irving brewery in chicago they make a beezer um and one of the things i said was what if we made a half beezer because they have a they have a beezer double beezer triple beezer i said what if we made a half beezer um and the idea is to do a crusher hazy pale uh, that uh, people who drink Salamaker would recognize. Uh, but the hop bill is a little bit different. Instead of doing, um, you know, Citra, who's like the big bopper and building the lineup around that, we uh, did more of a balanced lineup. It's Kohatu, uh, Kashmir, and Motueka hops. Uh, those are two New Zealand hops. And then the Kashmir brings a little bit of lime and melon. So uh, should be pineapple uh, with a little bit of melon, smell great. It's fermenting right now. Ephus from Old Irving Brewery. And if you're in Chicago, please go drink it and rate it and review it. Uh, because if it's popular, they'll do it again. Uh, and uh, that would just make me super happy uh, to have a beer that I collaborated with uh, take off. And I just think that this is the kind of beer that I would love to drink. I, I like when I'm opening my fridge these days. All I want is either a five or six percent West Coast IPA or a, uh, a five or six percent uh, hazy hazy pale. You know, so uh, that's that's where I'm living right now. Maybe maybe it's more like seven to eight on the West Coast IPA, but those are those are the two beers I'm drinking right now. So Ephus, baby, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm definitely trying to keep it a lot lighter ABV-wise, especially now that it's finally warming up here in Wisconsin. Uh, Our friends at The Athletic, Brian Bennett and Brian Hamilton, put together a beer guide with a local brew for each team in the men's tournament, which is pretty awesome. So from Madison, they chose Working Draft, a brewery that I've talked about a few times on our pod. Pop Culture Hazy IPA is the selection there. Highly recommend that if you can get your hands on it. I don't know if it gets that far outside of Wisconsin. But the cool thing about that is there's a good chance that a beer mentioned in that piece is available near you no matter where you are so long as you're somewhere in uh, the U.S. So plenty of good beers to choose from. I think I've got one beer left from the beer box that you sent me. It's um, I think it's one. It's got the Starburst on it from Baltimore. Oh, it's the uh, one of those crazy sours. Yeah, I got one of those left. So one I'm of the a... full tilt sours where they blended in some gummy worms or something. Yep, I think this was a pink starburst, one of those. So I got that there to look go. forward to this weekend. <laughs> so that's what's on tap for me. Nutty. <laughs> it's going to be delicious, though. Um, I'm excited. I'll have that probably about 11 o'clock tonight, and uh, that'll be my nightcap. It'll be a one-and-done kind of night for me with a big keeper auction coming up. Uh, as you know, mentioned, uh, lots of good stuff going on right now, though, at the site. Uh, you can get in for $1 oh, a month like to start. Like my chat right now. <laughs> Eno's chat. Right. So $1 a month to start. Go to any piece that Eno or I wrote and just click on it, and it'll pop up as an offer for you. So that's 
pretty awesome. Uh, if you feel bad about $1 a month, you think that's too cheap, you can actually go to theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. And I think it's three ninety nine a month to start if you go to our URL. So, you know, we appreciate that if you go the longer route, but a dollar a month is a heck of a deal to start out. If you just click through on one of our pieces, you can do that on Eno's latest article. You can do that on pitching rankings. You can do that on my rankings, my rookie piece, however you want to get there. All those places will bring you to that $1 a month deal on Twitter. He's at Eno Saris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. Uh, be sure to check out the Ding You, by the way. It's presented by BetMGM. If you'd like to Get to know more about March Madness. They've got that covered on the Daily Ding podcast feed. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. Good luck if you've got drafts this weekend. We are back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.